glad to have you on. So hopefully it'll be a great interview, and I hope that I've compiled enough notes um, to really get into the meat of what you do. So anyway, we're we're live here. So um, I am obviously the Zenith, and this is another episode of the Spirit Channel podcast. And my lovely guest today is Brenda Hershey. Brenda is an author, researcher. She's an international humanitarian and the president and founder of Tri Global which is an international non-profit organization using both neuroscience and yoga to create healing worldwide and TRI obviously stands for Total Resilience Yoga. So just before I go on, I just want to welcome you, Brenda, um, to the podcast and just having a great um, little discussion beforehand. And thankfully, we've hopefully worked out all these technical issues. We'll see. Yeah. In Arabic, we say inshallah, which means God willing. Like inshallah, we've we've uh, we'll have no more technical issues. Arabic, yeah, yeah. I must you must actually send me that. You must send me that phrase so that I can say it. I'm always interested in different cultures and different um, ways of expressing, you know, your 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 Mm -hmm. faith, divine compassion for that one God that we all kind of know. Um, but yeah, so you're based in Iraqi Kurdistan, um, which has about as steady an internet connection as I have here in Ireland. <laughs> so, you know, I guess, you know, a lot of people are going to obviously want to know about you and know about your work and your background. And I'll just read, you know, just kind of my own little bit and then you can kind of fill in the blanks. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tri was founded in 2016 by Jace and Darwin. Is it Bosin? Yeah, Joyce and Darwin Bosin. Mm-hmm. Bosin. Um, yeah. And they received help, I think, um, or their program was because of the, um, or they helped Dr. Nicole Andres, I think, who developed PSCD due to the death of her son. And I think that this was such a success that, you know, I think that from what I remember, was that army vets began to seek help for their trauma. And that's where this whole thing, you know, developed from in the States. Yeah. So Joyce Boson, uh, after experiencing the death of her son, she developed PTSD and she went back to yoga because she was a yoga instructor. She was a regular, like a practicing yogi. She went back to yoga and found herself more triggered than treated. Mm-hmm. And so she started kind of putting together her own practice, taking bits and pieces of this and that, including affirmations and visualizations and just using things that helped her feel better. And she was going to the VA because her son was in the military and uh, they, they noticed that she was recovering like so quickly and so well. And they were like, what are you doing? And, uh, and she was like, I'm, I'm doing this yoga I, I put together. This, it's just a, a specific sequence. Um, and now we have it. It's, uh, it's developed into a full class on the mat. We have a kid's class. We have a chair class. So we have lots of – it's, it's yeah, really blossomed. Um, yeah, and so the, the need became so big that she couldn't – they were like, okay, we'll teach the vets here at the VA – teaching this school to children and it just the demand was so big that her and her husband uh and with the help of dr nicole anders like you said um they started figuring out ah this works like this posture helps 
counter this trauma symptom. And, and basically, like all of the postures put together are really intentional to counter PTSD and also build resilience. We'll get more into that later. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There is a question that automatically formed on my lips, and I don't know whether I want to ask it straight away, but I'm afraid of forgetting it. Um, uh -huh. after, just, just give me a quick thing, because it just okay. reminds me of something else that I came across where um, someone else that I had interviewed or whatever had said that you know, a lot of our stresses and traumas are based in certain parts of our body. And so mm. I'm wondering, you know, like if we have um, anxiety, whatever, we feel it in our stomach and stuff like that there, you know, mm -hmm. or we stress, we feel it in our hands and stuff like that. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering um, with these specific yoga poses, is that maybe a way that helps relieve that trauma and stress in that bodily point that we are, you know, the trauma and stress into? Yeah, exactly. Uh, because trauma lives in the body, right? It becomes this physical manifestation, uh, often of our thoughts, or in, in case that's in case of just modern day stress, right? You don't have to have experienced some big shock trauma for this to be beneficial for you. Um, but yeah, and then what happens during trauma is, uh, you know, just a, a 101 glossing over it is that this rush of stress hormones floods your body. So I'll give you a specific example. Oftentimes we're sitting down when we're told the bad news, you're, you might be told to sit down. Um, and we had one woman who we work, I work with really closely still uh, with Tri, and she was sitting down during her, her really tragic, traumatic experience. And so what happens is that if you're not able to regulate yourself, so we teach people self-regulation actively, like we practice it and it becomes passive. Um, and I'll talk more about that later as well. But uh, if you're not able to regulate yourself in the moment, what happened to her is the, all those stress hormones got stuck in her hips. She wasn't able to move and then she wasn't able to stand up straight for like six months. She was kind of bent at the hips because there was just this like physical kind of mass that doctors mm. couldn't couldn't diagnose. They they didn't have answers for her. But when she started doing the when she started practicing try, she slowly but surely, um, oh. I mean, completely healed herself. So what we're doing is giving people the tools to resolve these deeply rooted traumas or just address this invisible stress that we all have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. So uh, what I want to do is, is ask you about your involvement, how you came across this. Um, I don't, I, I don't quite know that story, how you came across this, this mm -hmm. try, whether you automatically joined as someone who was wanting to be an instructor or, you know, someone who joined as someone who just had an interest in it and how you then developed into this kind of international coach and teacher of it because I know that you've obviously flown to places in South America to to teach it mm -hmm. and now you're you're teaching it into Iraqi Kurdistan and, and how you ended up living there. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna give you all of the, the camera and take my um Okay. <laughs> I my face out of it. So you go ahead. Okay. So be helpful if I preach. <laughs> and there we go. So 
this is actually a story really close to my heart. I mean, this is this is my story. So um, it was uh, about four years ago, and I was actually just coming out of a really dark time. It was a, a true dark night of the soul. Uh, I'd just been fired from a job for something completely ridiculous. I'd gone through a horrible breakup, and um, and I was just at one of my lowest points. And I was, it, and it, the thought occurred to me, like, okay, what can I make of this? Like, what what do I want to do with my life right now? You know, all of these uh, existential questions you ask yourself in a time like this. And I I searched uh, trauma recovery yoga, something along these lines, and this organization in Las Vegas popped up. I was living in Chicago, and so I just I. I looked through everything, read everything on the website five times. And then I emailed them just like the general email. And I was like, Hey, I'm in Chicago. I don't know how you could come here or, or what, but I would love to contribute to your mission somehow. Like this speaks so deeply to me. Uh, yoga has been such a healing, um, a, a tool and, uh, what's the word? Uh, yeah, it's just been such a powerful tool for in my healing journey and to help bring this to people, to make it accessible to people who otherwise would not be practicing yoga and and experience the beneficial healing that can come from it. Just really marrying these two uh, really spoke to me. And I got an email back. And that turned into uh, me volunteering. Uh, I was doing social media and marketing. And then, I mean, that just blossomed and grew into me creating my own uh, title. And I was the director of community engagement for about a year and a half. And I was traveling around the U.S. with the founders because it was such a small organization at the time that I just put my whole heart into it. And that I mean, it was just so divine, all of it. So we were traveling the U.S. and um, training people. So we have a two-day, 20-hour teacher training. So we were training um, medical professionals, uh, mental health professionals, yoga instructors, educators, people who just are on their healing journey. It's, it's great for anyone, whether you have any yoga experience or not, by the way. And, I mean, I was just completely in love with it. So that that's kind of how I got into it. And and then, yeah, I, I can sh also share my personal trauma story and how that connected me yeah. even deeper to try. I think that um, that happened after that you actually became a certified try instructor. But that happened in 2019. You actually became the certified instructor. Did that trauma? Because I know that you've talked about this before. Although that you were teaching this stuff, although you were helping people, you hadn't, and I guess it's not something you're going, oh, I haven't had my own trauma. You know, I need some sort of trauma in order to make this genuine. Just mm -hmm. happened. Did that happen after you, because I know that you, you, you helped, you went and you've done humanitarian work in the Middle East. Was that before this? traumatic event in which you were flying to South America, or is that something, something mm -hmm. that took place or happened um, as part of your, you know, your where you're living now in Iraqi Kurdistan? 
It was actually, so I'd been teaching, uh, I love, you, you really did your research here. <laughs> um, so I was, I'd been teaching for about six months, and exactly like you said, there was this disconnect. I wasn't mad about it, but there was some disconnect because I hadn't experienced my own big shock trauma just yet. And I was working with, you know, people in homeless shelters, mothers who lost a child to gun violence on the south side and like uh, refugees in Chicago. So, so yeah, I think you can only take people so far as you have been yourself. And so uh, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I'd been teaching for about six months. And then I was on a flight to Guatemala to teach try to women and children in Guatemala City. And we were about 10 minutes from landing. And uh, I got message or service on my phone um, saying that my dad had unexpectedly passed away. He'd had a heart attack. Uh, and I was raised most of my life by a single father. So, of course, that was wow. super traumatic. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so then I had my, my own whole experience, which turns out to be a story of resilience because as I was teaching, I had unknowingly built this high level of resilience. So I not only had, because I was also studying the science of trauma this whole time, I'm training people to teach try and how to, what happens in the body during trauma. So then I, I felt that rush of energy, like from my feet, like slowly moving up my body. I felt, I knew my body was just involuntarily taken over and because I had this understanding, I was so much more present with myself. And I basically regulated myself and walked myself through the practices that I was teaching other people all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was in 2019. And then later that year, I well, then after that, I, I had a series of events like that. That was the worst. And then I had a couple of really close deaths in the following two months. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, but the theme was that wherever I was, the second one I was in a Starbucks, the third one I was in a Whole Foods. So like I was able wherever I was to to ground myself, to breathe, and you know to get home and fall apart a little bit then. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so then in the fall, so that was in the spring, and fall came, and I I finished my master's degree in Greece teaching trauma recovery yoga in refugee camps and finishing my thesis. And from there, I came here to Iraqi Kurdistan, where I've been for about two and a half years. So. Wow. What a story. I mean, like, you know, they always say things come in threes or something like that. And, you know, that's yeah. quite, for someone who, you know, I'm trying to, trying to get the words out here, for someone yeah. who, didn't have those tools that you had that mm -hmm. to try and the death of their father and then to have those near-death experiences mm -hmm. would be completely devastating so to have that inner resilience and know how to process that trauma through those tools it almost seems to be like you know you were fated to be in that position where you were already equipped to know how to deal with those trauma and those traumatic situations to not let them affect to the point because grief on its own and as you say to deal with you know the death of a father the death of a loved one and i guess it's great having those tools but 
to try to process, I don't know, I don't know what your process were, but to try and, you know, understand that grief and to come to terms with the passing of, you know, this physical aspect of your father, you know, what your, you know, your religious mm -hmm. beliefs are. But I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, grief recovery or trauma recovery can maybe only take you so far, I guess you need to come to terms with the idea that that person isn't alive on this earth, and especially for someone who was almost exclusively raised by yeah. your father, it must have been, you know, extremely devastating, and then to compile it on top of that there, it's almost like kicking you when you're down, when you suffer these. That, that's what it felt like, I'll be honest. And I can yeah. imagine why am I going through this? You know, why am I being made to suffer like this? Which most people who have a form of trauma kind of look at the world, you know, that why am mm -hmm. I being made to suffer like this? It must have been really um, traumatic. But the fact that you've, you know, processed that in such a healthy way and you're able to talk about it, um, I guess, speaks to your mental resilience and to, you know, your dedication to this work and your um, belief and faith that this work really can make a difference to people in their lives. Thank you for saying all of that. Actually, when you started talking, I got full body goosebumps um, <laughs> because I do feel that it was really on purpose that, I mean, I don't know how I would have handled that had I not had these tools to regulate myself, to understand what was happening in my body, um, and, and it was actually, it was my dad and then my sister who passed away and then a close friend of mine. So like after my sister, I was like, okay, can, can you stop? <laughs> can, can this be it? Um, yeah. And you know, for anyone, uh, grieving out there, some, an interesting realization that I had uh, in the, the recent past was I, everyone you know grieves differently that was such a big lesson for me returning home and grieving with the rest of my family and friends and uh it's so interesting to see how one person plays such a and can play such a different role in so many people's lives mm, mm, you know um yeah. but, but i realized personally that like so i was super close with my dad and i i don't feel like he's gone because I, I, I don't believe that he is. I think he really is still here. So I, I don't think I can ever accept that he's, that he's yeah. not here. That would be complete. That would completely destroy me if I really mm -hmm. believe that. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely get that. And obviously, you know, my podcast and all of my media is called the spirit channel for a reason. Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to other people's, you know, if their religious beliefs or, you know, the spiritual beliefs, but you know, without trying to tell you anything or try to, you know, persuade you of anything, I think that's a mm -hmm. real um, important and um, amazing way of, you know, of looking at things to have that realization, that faith and belief that, you know, your father mm -hmm. is still there. And I guess it's more than just this, well, I just believe it. It's, it's more than taking on faith. I would imagine that you can feel his presence still very close to you and so so many all the time yeah. yeah 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 and uh i i have my practices now you know i'm in iraq so i i have all my spiritual practices like full throttle 
almost all the time. <laughs> um, I have my kundalini, my vinyasa yogas, my meditations, my tapping, like I'm doing all of it. <laughs> all right, okay, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so in terms of like this feeling of connection, that's often my intention is just to sit down, to, to clear myself off and to immerse myself in this feeling of connection. And whether that be my dad or just connected within or, or whatever that looks like for, for whoever. Um, for me, I, I've, I'm less visual and I'm more of a feeler. Yes. So, yes. so yeah. yeah. No, I think that's right. You know, a lot of people look to this visually. And yes, there are people who can, you know, experience things visually. But mm -hmm. I think deeper connection comes when you can feel you know, yeah. a lot of trauma, a lot of the things that we experience, emotions, feelings, come on a deeper level and they come in a way that can't necessarily be translated into words. When you have mm -hmm. that feeling of connection, when you have that feeling of joy, of love, of anxiety, that can't adequately be expressed in words because I think it's also something that's potentially unique to that person. And I think that when mm -hmm. You're not totally. seeing your dad in your mind, but when you can feel that love, that's the connection you're talking about. You just know, I just know that my dad is there because I can feel that connection, that feeling of love deep in my heart. And it spreads this feeling of joy through me. Uh -huh. And I think that's how you know, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mind you, if anyone's grieving and someone tells you, though, oh, but they're always with you, uh, that's, I, you know, I'm like, come on. That's not cool. No, but I feel that for cool. myself. <laughs> You're like, okay, oh, get absolutely. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we that people grieve. Like, you know, my own wife has lost her mother three mm -hmm. odd years ago, and um, she still grieves. She still, you know, feels mm -hmm. that even though you know, I kind of do what I do and um, know what I know. She has to, you know, deal with that in her in her own way. So I would never tell anyone, you know, right. like. Just get over it because there always are. People need um, some way of dealing with trauma, some way because it's people's feelings and their emotions um, and the baggage mm -hmm. that they're carrying around to come to terms with that they need to evolve through. They need to find a way because I've been through my own trauma, big, big trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I went within myself to find that inner guidance and that how do i process these feelings how do i overcome this fear how do i overcome this feelings of desperation how do i overcome these feelings of my life you know is at an end or whatever the case may be of of, mm -hmm. of um deep hurt and deep pain because i don't want to feel like that so how can i you know evolve through those feelings and what are those feelings yeah. trying to take about myself so it's absolutely you know again i guess i was someone who's lucky i guess if you want to say that that i had that inner guidance um but for anyone who doesn't have that or feels that they're not strong enough to rely on that there they definitely need to seek out um some sort of spiritual or sorry not some sort of spiritual some sort of um organization or body who is equipped to try and help them you know mm -hmm. deal with them through that and what you're doing is amazing and Obviously, Absolutely. now you're doing it right, um, through not only yeah. uh, help, you know, deal with PTSD. Think I've got that word right, have I? PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, I never get that. I must have some sort of. <laughs> That's okay. Everyone knows what you're talking about. 
everyone knows what I'm talking about. You know what I'm yeah. talking about, YouTube. <laughs> um, and all those other forms, this is going to go out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Actually, um, yeah, uh -huh. so, you know, you're not only helping people in America and, and through that, um, but you're also speaking this worldwide. You're giving conferences in South America. You're now training people in, in Kurdish, Kurdistan, Iraq. I know yeah. that you're now involved in Ukraine. So it's just amazing that you're spreading these teachings worldwide. Thank you. Actually, you touched on something really important um, that in my experience, I feel so blessed to have had the tools and to have had the resilience. So I have this vision for us as individuals and collectively moving from a place of like perpetually recovering and, and building resilient people, resilient communities um, so we can show up and we can be present for ourselves and for, for all of us, um, because it's mm -hmm. a complete game changer. If something happens, if you're walking down the street and you, someone makes a, an offhand comment and you can find your feet on the floor and be like, okay, well, and, and you know, just go about your business yeah. or, or even go so far as like to have compassion for that person and, and just keep going and be like, oh, well got something going on today um yeah and so so to to move into this elevated space i feel that it is yeah. i'm actually co-authoring a book right now on post-traumatic growth using um and i'm partnered with a, a psychologist and doctor here who loves trauma recovery yoga it was through her organization that i conducted the research uh here in kurdistan and so we are using the Yazidi community case studies, survivors who survived uh, uh, from the, their time with ISIS in captivity as sex slaves, mm -hmm. uh, using their case studies to, yeah. and as well as uh, survivors from other global tragedies to uh, recommend healing modalities that work and provide kind of a, guide a guidebook for clinicians and just the average person as to how can we support people to move, like when you're faced with a fork in the road, essentially, to move to move in the direction of post-traumatic growth versus PTSD, for example. Um, so it's a process, but I feel really, as you mentioned, you know, it's, I feel faded, like this is what I'm here to do, so. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. better than when you can help someone, when you see the benefits of your work. Money can't buy that. You know, yeah. it's just joy that you feel that that other person has found their feet or they have, you know, received benefit in some way or they've come out of that training program in part. Um, not in a state of going, okay, I have the tools. Okay, yeah, potentially, but being in part, I guess. Being mm -hmm. in part. Okay, you know, now I've committed this and I am liberated from this trauma. And I guess it must be so hard because of the, I, well, I don't know, I guess maybe the dominant religion and the, mm. the region and the circumstances and the tribalism and, and all of those things that play into a place like, you know, Iraq. Um, mm -hmm. And as you say, the trauma of those Yazidi yes. Have been trapped in a traffic, but you know, have been raped multiple times and mm -hmm. a lot of 
homes and renowned camps and stuff like that and through your work to see those women in power and children i guess as well it must be through mm -hmm. um, well, I, I know, but I, it must be for you make every kind of slog every kind of long day every hundred degree heat day um worth it 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 really does actually my problem isn't like having I mean, I'm working all the time, but I just love it so much. So my problem is stopping myself. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I will touch on this point that regardless of us being here, we are navigating a different culture and different religion and different uh, political system, it's an authoritarian regime. So these things are very different from what I'm used to and where we've been operating before. Um, but with all that being said, people experience trauma in the same way. Like my body will respond in the same way as yours. Or if, if we have some similar level of trauma, let's say. Yeah. So, I mean, these people, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma here. We all have that, frankly, but to some degree, but there's some pretty major intergenerational trauma being passed down. I mean, even the host community, they're Kurds, and there have been, I don't know how many genocides against the Kurds. So that, plus with Syrian refugees, the Yazidi community, all these other minorities that have been discriminated against for decades, if not centuries. Um, so yeah, that's that's something. But as we experience trauma in the same way, it's like, you know, all of our blood is red, right? It's the sure. same idea for me. And we all recover in a similar way. I mean, we all have different traumas and different patterns and blueprints, but the with our data, it shows that, you know, our bodies respond similarly to these trauma-informed practices for yeah. recovery and resilience. Yeah, so yeah. that aspect of it, I really, I can really appreciate and, and really helps me, you know, be on the same level with people as well. Yeah, fantastic, um, really, really yeah. good. And I know that um, it's not just yoga, but I hear you talk about this woo-woo, um, you know, <laughs> That's a good point. People would consider spiritual, but I think that there's something to be said for this marriage of these ancient practices, which essentially, when you look to where yoga came from, which was the East, um, it wasn't kind of this spiritual woo-woo. It was more of this kind of realization that this is a, a kind of art form, that it is a kind of science. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that was based, that idea of yoga and these yogis and these kind of ancient masters were not just these kind of spiritual, oh, well, it just happens in a spiritual level, but they were interested and they talk a lot about kind of the, the science in their day about you know, how this is done and what effects it has on the body and stuff and about the nervous mm -hmm. system, adrenal cone system. So I think that yoga started off in this from that and potentially it's came to my knowledge, to, to, me, to, to be this kind of, you know, practice which is not really rooted in science, but what you are doing or your organization is doing is taking um, this concept of neuroscience and what we understand about the brain and about the body and all of that stuff and marrying it with these yoga practices. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're finding 
you know, how and why that these yoga practices, these postures, these breathing techniques, these visualizations affect our brain. And as you were mentioning, mm-hmm. uh, the study of the nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, and um, the other things, and how the vagus nerve and how breathing, you know, um, triggers mm-hmm. something in your, in your, through your nostrils and stuff like that, then mm-hmm. that's the approach that you're taking. Yeah, I, I love talking about the science of it too. And something I like to, to keep in mind is that all yoga is good yoga, but not all yoga is good for trauma. So mm-hmm. I personally, yoga is a very spiritual experience for me, even if I'm just doing my three sun A's in the morning, you know. Um, so, so that is what it is for me. I study like the, you know, the branches and, and I try to live a yogi lifestyle and all of that. And while we're not like completely detaching from the roots of yoga, that's really important not to just whitewash it and, and uh, let people think that this was like some therapy developed by uh, doctors in America, you know, <laughs> there, there is that balance, which is really important. Um, but yeah, by pushing the science of it here, people have like, I've received no pushback. We even, one of the trainings we conducted um, in June, we, we facilitated two of these teacher trainings. It's over two days and trained 27 people, uh, mainly Syrian refugees and host community members. So Kurdish folks who work in mental health or humanitarian uh, professions. And one of those trainings was uh, in collaboration with uh, DOLSA, which is the Dehuk, um labor ministry of labor so it's basically the social work branch of the kurdish government so so the the kurdish government they're all in as long as they don't have to pay for anything um and they i mean they have a presence in every refugee camp every mental health institute in this entire country so by pushing the science like you said and and also to complement what you said, we're really intentionally choosing, like all yoga is good, but we're really intentionally picking and choosing things that are good for someone with PTSD. Um, and, and even if you don't have that, like I was teaching the class and I was benefiting from it regardless. I hadn't experienced any shock trauma. Um, so it, it just goes to show the malleability of the practice and how it's really yoga for everybody and and we're really meeting people where they are it's it's an all levels class as well so there's no yoga experience required um and these are people who have never stepped on a yoga mat in their life you know yeah that's so empowering and so amazing to to hear you talk about that and i suppose then we should talk about you know the process that you go through and maybe the 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 two-week the two-week training program is for someone who wants to become um an instructor in this isn't that correct yeah it's so, two days mm-hmm. oh, two days two days it's two full days and then uh they so once you graduate from the two-day training you go through our online member site and you choose what class you want to teach so let's say you you did the in-person training and then you want to teach a chair yoga class it's a 30-minute class once you do, we'll place you in the community and like pay you to teach here. Um, 
So you go through this step-by-step -step video tutorial program, and then you send us a video of you teaching the class. And all throughout the program, you have to practice three times before you move on to the next, next step. Um, so it's meant to be as simple and mm -hmm. empowering as possible because these are, and in the training as well, like we break, we all, we study the science and then we practice together and then we break them into breakout groups and they practice, everyone practices guiding their group members through every single posture. So, you know, at first it's just getting the words out. It's just knowing that you can, you can do this. Cause I mean, they haven't practiced yoga before, let alone teach it. So, so it's like a step-by-step -step, um, uh, process, if you will, of like in-person, then online. Once they submit their video, we give them feedback. We offer mentorship in-person and online. Um, and then we place them in the community and we supervise some classes. We do drop-ins. And, uh, and it's also a nice paid part-time job as well, mm. because $20 for 30 to 60 minutes of work is like, is yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Especially over in Iraqi Kurdistan, I guess. Especially here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I guess yeah. the, the two, uh, I love this idea of the simplicity of it. I love this idea that this is simple it can be picked up and taught to anyone anyone can learn this i love that because you know mm -hmm. through my own kind of um um you know kind of practices and stuff like that and the things that i try to pass on to other people i always talk about that this is not complicated you know mm -hmm. breathing is not complicated closing your eyes right. and learning it's not complicated mm -hmm. you know just this um in the same way that you do this this these things that can produce these changes within us these elevated states of beings do not have to go and stand on a mountaintop with one leg you know uh behind your back and you know with perfect lighting and yeah yeah it's not yeah. you know this idea that you have to sit on a uh, in the lotus position you know with your eyes closed and that kind of mm -hmm. in a rocky uh, grassy it doesn't have to be about that it's, it's the most simplest things and i guess that's why they work because um this is the way it was designed i guess so that anyone and everyone could avail of these techniques so i just love that idea that the simplicity mm. the more simple the better that everyone can grasp it it. yeah yeah it's a i totally agree it, it really quickly um became clear that if it's not simple uh, people aren't going to follow through. They're not going to do the training and then get on the website and go through the tutorial. So that's that's uh, one piece of it. The other is that we also do have to have good quality control because these are people, we want to train them, I mean, for themselves to be confident, to be skilled, and then to go out into the community and be guiding other, guiding their community members a lot of them will be teaching in, in Syrian refugee camps around here. Um, so, you know, we don't want to put someone who's unskilled and not properly trauma-informed into a room, guiding other traumatized people through a practice. So, so on the one hand, keeping it as simple as we possibly can and having these different quality control pieces to make sure that they are skilled, they're confident, and they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine, you know, but 
when you're talking about the idea of simplicity, that these people have to, you know, know the foundation, know how to do that. It's something that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't just throw on them all at once. It's an unfolding process where they get used mm -hmm. to one, and then you go, okay, well, you know, now you need to understand this. Get used to that. Now you need to understand that before mm -hmm. you throw on this this trainer. So in in the same way, still this process that you follow that is simplified as much as possible mm -hmm. and i'm also very much uh, personally like i'm i'm breaking down my big goals into smaller ones and basically making things as digestible as possible for myself just in my personal and professional life so i was really able to translate that into our member site and support them in this way that i feel is really digestible and and doesn't feel so overwhelming you yeah. know because at the same time, as great as our website is, uh, a lot of these people, they don't have a laptop. They're living in refugee camps, so they're going to be doing it on their phones and making sure um, basically that we're really um, utilizing the wisdom of our local partners. And it's not just, uh, you know, a group of white people coming in here like, we know this works. Let us tell you about it. Yeah, Americans um, again. <laughs> yeah, right? Like... <laughs> I'm not trying to live up to that stereotype. So, so we really draw from the wisdom of our local partners and we get um, regular feedback from our participants and, and that goes a really long way. And I think that's how we make this sustainable. And about the, um, the process itself, how you incorporate visualization and, mm. you know, um, the breathing and stuff, how does that work? How do you take someone through that process? You know, do you talk to them beforehand to try to understand what level of trauma that they're going through? What is going to work best for them? Does this require a more intensive program? Do they need to come back for multiple sessions? Is one or two sessions good enough? You know, all of that sort of stuff. Do I need to use more visualization? Do I need to incorporate more breath work? Do they need to do more yoga? Is is, is the foundation, is the course changeable like that? I'm just getting a pen. I'm going to dig into this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I love all of these questions. So uh, let me start with the foundation of trauma recovery yoga, which is self-regulation for resilience or SRR. So basically what this is, and actually in a little bit, I'd love to take you through a couple minutes of the practice. Yes. Amazing. So it's orientation, finding yourself in your space, engaging your five senses, and then grounding, noticing your connection to the ground, centering, like bringing your energy back in, noticing any sensations inside your body, and then noticing your breath. So these four tools are weaved, we do it actively at the beginning of every practice, and then they're weaved in throughout the entire class. So, um, that along with, uh, like then we add in visualization, we add in affirmations. Both of these pieces work with neuroplasticity, which is this really cool ability we have to rewire our brain for healthier, more positive thoughts and beliefs. Um, and also to bring parts of our brain slowly back online that were either really weakened during our trauma, especially if we have like chronic complex traumas, which a lot of people here do. Um, mm -hmm or so if they were weakened or just went offline to start to bring back online like the prefrontal cortex and 
your, your memory center and these uh, different pieces of the brain. Um, so those are a couple of the aspects. And the breath, I'll touch on that as well because it's such an important part of this. So, as long as we want. Okay, cool. So breath. I, I'm especially here, like in our trainings, you know, you kind of feel out the energy of the group and every group's different. And, and I was just hammering away on breath, just making it relevant in every topic that we touched on. And it's its own topic, but because so many people told us in our trainings and in our classes that we've been teaching for the last year plus, that this was the first time they noticed their breath that they can remember. They're just going through life completely unaware of their breath. And, and while that's true, especially true for people who have these big shock traumas, that's true for all of us. Like I, I find myself like, so in the zone on my laptop, just typing away. And, and then I'll suddenly notice that I've been holding my breath or I'm teaching this, I'm practicing it every single day. <laughs> so, so the progress, is is noticing it so i i always notice it it might be after a minute or so but i but i notice it so um so we take about twenty thousand breaths a day and every single one is an opportunity to uh impact in some way i mean your breath impacts all of your internal organs uh your nervous system your vagus nerve and they say our breath is like the remote control to our nervous system. So, I mean, you can completely shift the energy, your energy or the energy of a situation with like three belly breaths, you know, um, for the vagus nerve, which works in sync with the nervous system. So it's the largest nerve in our body. And that's really the, the secret sauce to mind body methods. We're working uh, with stimulation of the vagus nerve, vagal toning, and uh, it has a, a couple big jobs. So the first is that it brings balance back into the nervous system. Uh, so, you know, we let's say for the sake of simplicity, we have sympathetic and parasympathetic branches of the nervous system, these two, two branches. So sympathetic, S for stress, that's how I remember it. Uh, and parasympathetic, para like a, a parachute, like you're slowly coming down. It's the rest and digest, the calming side of the nervous mm -hmm. system. So when we experience trauma, uh, the the sympathetic nervous system kicks on. It's, you know, as for survival, let's say. So you perceive a fear or danger or something in your alarm system. Your, uh, yeah, the amygdala, the alarm center of the brain starts going off pumping stress hormones into your body, your pupils dilate, your digestive system stops. Like every single organ in your body is responding to your nervous system. And, and that's what happens during trauma. So like when I felt that rush of energy, that's, you know, the alarm system going off and all of these things involuntarily happen, happening. And it's because we're wired for survival, which is actually pretty amazing. Fight right? or flight. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so obviously we don't want to be stuck in that stressed state um, that comes along with its own short and long term 
um, uh, what's the word, disadvantages, uh, it becomes really dysfunctional really fast. Um, but we also don't want to be stuck in a parasympathetic or calm state. You know, you don't want to be walking around all the time like, hey, what's up? Like, <laughs> totally, totally zenned out. <laughs> um, I don't know if they would call that zenned out. Maybe someone is partaking of some sort of substance. Which, which might be what people think when they see someone who's totally zenned out. Like, what, what's that person on, right? Um, but so really the goal is to have balance in the nervous system. We want to have a strong vagus nerve so that when we do perceive danger, we're able to respond really quickly. And then we come back to balance. And when we sit down to meditate or, or sit down to have a conversation with our friends, we're able to drop into the parasympathetic branch. You know, we're not stuck in one or the other. And the vagus nerve, that's one of its main jobs. Uh, the other main job of the nervous, or of the vagus nerve is, uh, it's our body's super uh, communication superhighway. So it's in charge of communicating all of the parasympathetic or calming messages happening in our body. And we're in this constant loop of brain to body, body to brain, like all day, every day. And this fact alone, uh, you know, proves that mind-body methods work, that we have to include the body, is that 80% of those messages are moving from the body to the brain. They're moving from the bottom up and then 20% coming back. So if you've ever tried to think your way out of stress, I know I certainly have, you know, you're, you're at a party or something and someone walks in and you're like, oh, no, no. How, how are we here? Um, <laughs> and you're like, okay, stay calm, stay calm. It's totally fine. I'm fine. I'm over it. Whatever it might be, um, it, that does not work because your heart's beating really fast. Your breath got shallow. You know, your shoulders might be hunched up by your mm -hmm. ears. Your body is responding. So the way we break this stress loop is by taking a few breaths from the belly. That's the fastest and most effective way, at least. Um, so we, we teach this also when we're practicing throughout our trainings is like take a few belly breaths. can completely transform the state of your nervous system. Yeah. So that was, that was a lot on the vagus nerve. But that, guys, when you get that, it's like mind-body method. Duh, where is this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it, you're yeah. so true. I just wanted to ask you about what form of breath work that you are practicing because, mm. sure, as you know, there are so many forms of breath work. Um, we use breath work yeah. in spiritual practices, we use breath work in meditation. Um, there are people out there who are using forms of breath to manifest changes in their physical body. There's a guy, um, Wim Hof. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so he mm -hmm. uses breath and he does all of these crazy endurance feats. So there are so many forms of breath work out there. I'm just wondering, because obviously mm -hmm. belly breath, but we get that really into our belly and push that belly um, and let it yeah. rise again as such, you know, a calming and, and way to really take in that energy. I'm wondering, is it is it through the breath, through the microscope, or is it through the nostrils? Mm -hmm. Great question. So. Uh, we use, we cue to, we cue every breath 
in the class, in every class, by the way, we're cueing their inhales and their exhales. That's another uh, attribute of trauma recovery yoga practices is that we micro cue, so we guide them throughout the practices, cueing their their um, like their orientation. Notice your hands, your feet on the ground, and every single breath. So we always cue to breathe in and out of the nose. Every now and again, you can exhale out of the mouth to kind of release extra heat, if you will. Um, and then we intentionally use, we have three breathing practices that we incorporate in the classes. Um, and the, the characteristics of them are basically that they're guided, they're effective, and they're really low risk. So we use a three-part breath. So when you breathe, so you bring in visualization into this as if you're filling up, uh, you're a bucket and you're filling up from the top of your head, filling up from the bottom. So you breathe in to the belly, pull the breath into the chest, pull the, like fill all the way up and then exhale from the top, from the lungs, from the belly. So we will do this one which also a lot of people haven't breathed, they have a really difficult time breathing into their belly, let's say, or they can't. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a great one to bring awareness to breathing into the lower lobes of the, the lungs. Yeah, as um, most people don't do that. Sorry that to interrupt your thought, but no, no. most people don't do that. We breathe all the time, every day, as you were saying, and yet we're not From the chest. aware of the breath yet. Most people, yeah. as you said, set it into the chest. And when you can shift that down into the belly, that has mm -hmm. amazing results. But go ahead. It really does. Ahead. No, it's a great point because you don't have to have experienced trauma to be going about your day breathing from your chest. I catch myself doing it all the time. And the magic of it is when you can catch it and take a few breaths from your, your belly. And maybe you return to the breathing from your chest again. You're unaware of it but just noticing. Mindfulness is just a fancy word for noticing. Um, so yeah. noticing, moving forward. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a good one, breathing from the stomach. And uh, another one we have is box breath. So this is a really quick and effective way to calm the body's stress response system. You breathe in for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. And, and you continue like this. It's great for a number of reasons, uh, but it basically trains your nervous system. Okay, you're holding your breath like we do during trauma. And what's it feel like to be holding it and then exhale, to be holding it and then inhale? Like this? Yeah, yeah I'm aware of that one myself. It's called the four full breath, but I've heard it actually called very recently the box breath. Um, it's that cycle of repetition where you are taking your awareness away from the jumble in your head to the uh -huh. focus on the breath by having that print, isn't it? So you're, you're focusing on that rather exactly. than Yeah, and actually that's a really, um, that's one quality that makes this breath really great. It's my favorite. It's so simple and it's really great to do during a stressful situation because you refocus the mind on the counting. You're like one, two, three, four. Like you can, you can just preoccupy yourself with that and after a minute or two, like your nervous system has significantly calmed down. Yeah. Fantastic. Was there another method that you wanted to talk about? Uh, the last one we do is especially great for kids, but it works for adults just the same is a uh, five finger breath. 
So it engages all the senses. It brings the prefrontal cortex back online. So you start, uh, you bring one finger to the base of your other thumb, and then you inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, up the finger, exhale to the base. And you just do that, and then you go back the other way. And it's surprisingly pretty relaxing. <laughs> like, yeah, especially if you work with kids, it's fantastic. Yeah, because kids obviously like to be occupied and maybe having their focus on something internal within them maybe doesn't quite hold their attention. So to have something external to kids are naturally mm -hmm. playful and inquisitive and like to play about with their body parts. So to have something fun and simple as if they're going up and down a slide or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. by using exactly. Really, yeah, we really hear good. a lot of roller coaster breath. <laughs> like teachers especially, they have all these creative ways to approach their kids with this and they love it. Brilliant. Tell me just a little bit about, you were talking about, because I want to move on to visualizations now, you were talking about this mm -hmm. visualization filling up, it's like a bucket, but there must be something that you're telling, because you just can't visualize a bucket filling up with nothing, so you must be telling people there must be something going in that bucket, water or light or something like that, if you're mm -hmm. drawing that. So Yeah, as if you're pouring water into the top of your head, filling up from the bottom. and. Mm -hmm. Go it's ahead. just may have been a silly question, but I was just wondering because you know no. you said about it, but I didn't know because in a lot of practices, you know, they would visualize light bringing light in. So I wondered what was something mm. that or was shining in water. Uh, yeah, we usually say water. It's a little more practical. I'm super into like you know the light and actually the body scan we do at the end. It's a guided body scan meditation for all of the adult classes. I bring light into that that part. But as practical as we can be, because, you know, imagine for someone here who's, um, you know, living in a camp who has never done yoga, has never meditated, nothing like this. Imagine saying, visualize now that there's light pouring into your body from the top. They're like, who are you? And what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <Brilliant. laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's funny to have to think about things in this different way. Yeah. And I um yeah we can talk more about cultural things that have come up in in teaching and training but uh yeah after a few years you know my mind is more naturally starting to go like oh no we can't we can't say that or something that feels so natural yeah. to us just won't work yeah. yeah i'm actually glad i actually asked that question because initially i thought this is a stupid question they asked like what no you know, but it's brilliant because it gives people then an idea just exactly what you're saying because of cultural differences mm -hmm. people you know, obviously in that part of the world that you are based in and maybe other parts of the world would have a hard time of visualizing light and it's just something that we take for granted so to try and find mm -hmm. a way that speaks to their culture by saying water you know which something which is everybody can imagine mm -hmm. it, it's just super important so it must be challenging i guess but super fun as well to go how can we take this kind of well-known technique that we've developed in america and change some of the symbolism change some of the techniques so it's going to speak to this culture and maybe even that culture alone mm -hmm. yeah yeah because every culture every language even is 
super unique. So our practices, our member site is now translated into, we of course have English and then uh, Kurdish Badini. It will soon be translated into Kurdish Sorani, which is a completely different language and uh, Arabic and Ukrainian. So for each of these languages, we have had round tables like no other to contemplate and to figure out how to adjust you know, our, our 60 page workbook, all of our video content and practices. Um, so yeah, absolutely. This is a, an ongoing and a very real thing that we get to navigate, which is pretty cool. Like one interesting example is um, we have printed I am cards for all of our classes. And during the trainings, all the, the participants, they get their own deck of I am cards. And of course it has English and then is in their language. And in our trainings here, we have people that spoke uh, both Kurdish and Arabic. So we had three languages going. Wow. And um, yeah, and for English, we of course don't have uh, gender, um, gender specified adjectives, right? Like Spanish does. Mm -hmm. um, in Kurdish, they don't either. In Arabic and Ukrainian, they do. So, you know, all of these different things, we have to have a conversation of, okay, should it be feminine, masculine, or do we put an option for both? Or, I mean, yeah. so, you know, we're thinking about these things in all these different ways, which is really, keeps us yeah. on our toes. Having mm -hmm. a monster, yeah, that, that, it's fascinating. But, you know, when you take a look at different cultures and how cultures are developed and they have their own, you know, cultural hierarchies and ways of expressing gender and things like that, it, it really is fascinating, mm -hmm. along with obviously providing challenges. And that was going to be my next question yeah. about visualization, about the I am cards, because yeah. the I am is such a powerful um, technique and uh, tool that you can use. And it just goes to show that this, although it was a, tends to be originally a very kind of spiritual practice, it refers to you know, you as being this empowered being, this spiritual being, this, you know, connection with, with the creator itself, to mm -hmm. use it in format to empower people to say, you know, I'm more than what I perceive or what has been done to me through this trauma. Mm -hmm. it's, it, I guess it's very empowering. And I, I just want you to talk a little bit about your work with that. Absolutely. Yeah, so the I am's are powerful. Um, it's been an interesting experience here. Well, first of all, I would like to say, because we get this comment sometimes is that, you know, this is bull crap. Like you can't just, you know, it's just the concept of I am's basically that, okay, these people who have been through unfathomable tragedy, you can't just come here and they say, I am this, I am this. And then like, you know, as if it's, uh, it's just some band-aid and we think like, yeah, this works without having any scientific uh, backing of it. So um, to that, I would say, sure, I hear that. And if you are just uh, having this card and you're not thinking it to yourself and saying it to yourself and feeling it more and more each time you say it. So if you're not being intentional about reframing, because what we're doing is like even in the classes, I'm saying as the teacher, I am strong, I am capable, I am healing. And so the participants hear, I am. 
You know, they're not hearing you are, they're hearing I am. So even just by being in the room, you're starting to kind of reframe this conversation that's happening in your mind, right? And you're using, sorry, this neuroplasticity to re, to, to form new networks in their mind. So what they're doing is they're reframing um, their mind, they're reframing, they're forming these new networks in their mind to shift away from those old patterns of thought by this repetition of this and the more I guess that they use it the more they begin to take it on board and begin to believe it and then it changes their thought patterns which is this neuroplasticity. Exactly and it's not something that happens overnight of course um, but yeah with this repetition and and then I think an important part of it is the reinforcement like okay you're hearing it you're thinking it you're feeling it now what choice will you make to reinforce that this is true because it is it's i i also always say in the classes like this is already a part of who you are sometimes we just need a reminder and there's no greater reminder than one that comes from within so that brings me to choice and i haven't forgotten about visualization either um uh, but choice is really one of the main pillars of our practices because no one chooses their trauma. They don't choose to go through that. They don't choose to feel the things that they're feeling necessarily. Um, and so we try in all these different ways. Uh, we touched on it in the, in the introduction of what try is, but it counteracts all these symptoms of trauma and these um, uh, non-tangible side effects of trauma, let's say. And one of them is feeling powerless, feeling hopeless feeling groundless, you know? So we we say that the only rule to the class is to exercise your power of choice. Do what feels good in your body today. That might not look like what feels good in mine, and that's cool. So we emphasize that, and then we're reminding them throughout the class. And so that's also a lot of opportunities in a 45-minute class to be, okay, everyone has their own I am card in front of their mat. They get their special card. And then they're, so they're hearing it, they're hearing me say other I ands, and they're choosing. You know, it's like every posture is an opportunity to choose. And if they wanna just sit there and breathe, that's yoga and that's cool. And I say that too. So, so yeah, choice is a really big part of this. Um, and, and for visualization, so I'll give you a couple examples of, of how this, we weave this in, because it's really, powerful actually and it's often um, told to us through testimony of participants as some of their favorite parts so uh the founder of the try method she's in las vegas um she says that the the body believes what the mind sees so when we can visualize these things we can start you know our body responds to to our thoughts right mm -hmm. Uh, so, for example, this three-part breath, we visualize the water pouring in from the bottom. So if you can close your eyes and like try to, you know, start to visualize that, it might not happen the first, the second, the fifth time, but maybe the, the sixth time, that yeah. helps to actually feel your, you feel your belly expand. Oh my God. Um, and another powerful visualization we always do is this balloon exercise so about midway through the classes we do this with adults and kids 
um, we imagine that we're holding a balloon. And on this balloon, you write or draw something that's holding you back from being happy, something you want to let go of today. You know, feeling the weight in your hands, maybe it's a fear, a doubt, a feeling, and then we release it. And then we do that again with another balloon, but this time something that you want to bring more of into your life, something that, that just instantaneously puts a smile on your face, something you dream about, and really picturing that, connecting to that image, and letting it fly away. And then we ground them after that, but that balloon exercise is pretty much always the unanimous favorite part. <laughs> it's one of the favorite parts, let's say. Yeah, yeah so so uh, visualization, yeah, it plays a role in all of our healing journeys. And yeah, it's you a can great really get a, class. Sorry, you can really get a sense of how all of these different techniques that you're putting together contribute to the whole. You know, when one person says yeah. the I am, it's not just the I am that you're using. You're using breath work, you're using yoga poses, you're using mm -hmm. visualization, you're using actual tools, all of these things all together um, build upon each other and reinforce each other. So it's not just this one thing, you know. Exactly. So I, I, I don't know to get that across to people or whether people actually get that concept or whether you have the time to sit down and say, look, sit down here. It's not just a case of this, it's all of these different techniques that wouldn't work without each other because we have tested them you know our research shows that yeah. combination of these techniques are what works best for them mm -hmm. so it's uh, exactly. not a business i guess really for people um tell us how your um is different how what way you use this because i know that there is no mention of the word trauma or anything like that there, there is very there's almost painstaking car taken to remove anything from the program which may spark off that trauma within a child's mind. Mm, so for children, yeah. Yeah, I was hopefully you can hear me. I was saying that um, no. there's painstaking car taken to remove anything, symbolism, colors, signs that may spark off that child's trauma again. Uh -huh. I'm wondering how you tailor children yeah so a great question because the kids classes are um, not what people usually think of when I say it's a trauma recovery yoga class for kids um, so we often get asked these kinds of questions before we enter any space um, and so we actually call these classes for kids mindful movements so we're not saying trauma around the kids even they wouldn't know the difference if, if it was for trauma or not. Um, and really, I mean, it's for trauma, it's for resilience, and you know, it's it's a yoga class. So they don't know the difference. We also, it's also a really fun and energizing class. So for example, it, rather than in an adult class where I'm as the teacher screaming, not screaming, but I'm saying the I am's, I say three I am's every time we go into a down dog. Uh, for the kids, everyone so the same thing everyone gets a an i am card before we start and every time we go into a down dog everyone screams their i am three times so it's just like everyone's like oh my God. And i mean it's like a mess but it's really fun they love it um there's no talk of trauma 
and as vague as we can be in terms of like we don't mention colors like you said um we you know in terms of our trauma-informed approach we try to remove all of the obvious potential triggers and then for you know the color pink could be a trigger for someone and you can't just you can't remove all triggers period so we remove all the obvious ones that we can so for example we're not touching anyone there should be no mirrors in the classroom uh, we don't turn off the lights or play music different things like this uh, but at the same time if someone does feel triggered which is very possible and has happened we are constantly regulating them I mentioned that we weave self-regulation in throughout the practices, and that is really the key. That's the answer to when people ask us, which we get all the time, what happens if someone freaks out during a class? These are traumatized people. Mm. Um, and people have been triggered, absolutely, but no one's ever like freaked out or um, for lack of a better term, uh, because we are grounding them as they're you know maybe experiencing a, a flashback or a rush of emotion or whatever's coming up for them because remember we're moving this energy that's been stuck in the body mm -hmm. um what when that does come up for them they're we're uh, calling their attention to their hands their feet to the mat feel your connection to the earth uh inhale exhale inhale exhale uh so you know we're cueing their breath looking up at your fingers or down at your foot. So we're constantly guiding them through this practice. And um, so they're able to process whatever comes up for them. So no one has ever, to my knowledge, run out of a room. And I've seen people process stuff in a class. And it's really powerful. Something else that I want to ask you, and that's left my mind because of this. So yeah, the, the, the training program and, um, yeah, you're, you're now kind of moving this out into um, Ukraine now as well. Yeah. Yeah, we're planning a project right now for the beginning of 2023 to bring these trainings and classes to Ukrainians. So our plan is to be in Lviv, which is in the western part of Ukraine, about an hour from Poland. Um, and it's really been a critical access point, both for people fleeing from the eastern part of the country and for humanitarian aid to come into the country. So there's a lot of opportunity for us there to uh, teach community classes. And then we're partnering with local organizations to um, recruit beneficiaries and to train up to 60 Ukrainians to become certified tri instructors and provide them with these ongoing resources we talked about. So really, um, yeah, it's it's been a really fulfilling experience already to work with our Ukrainian team. We have five uh, young women who are mostly in Ukraine, who are translating all of our material, coordinating for us on the ground, uh, and we are raising money, we're raising funds uh, we're about a third of the way there uh, to $8,000. And wow. yeah, so we're really excited um, and really honored. I think that's the word to be able to bring this 
uh, at such a critical time to people who really need this, you know? Yeah. yeah. I guess, um, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, there was a couple of other things, but one of the things that was occurring on my mind there is that you can really see the benefits of this on a word, worldwide scale, not even with um, people in this, you know, who are displaced or who are in refugee camps mm -hmm. um, who are torn Think of people like homelessness people, you know, the trauma oh, yeah. that they face. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone who is in a foster home or car home, any problems and ills that we have in our society. And then think about people who are stressed in their jobs, who are overworked, and mm -hmm. um, people who are mm -hmm. um, during this lockdown or during the lockdowns that we had oh, yeah. of trauma and mental problems caused by that. Um, from children not being able to develop property, from having no interaction with mm -hmm. with their peers, so their yeah. their mental growth is stunted. There are so many mm -hmm. ways in which a program like this could help. Um, you know, outside of uh, as we're talking about, there are army vets, displaced people, uh, people mm -hmm. in countries, and I know obviously in the states. It probably has expanded beyond then, and I do know that the founders um, have started up another, um, or they're kind of taking this in a different direction. They have, have a different website for for a different kind of program. But you know, mm -hmm. if this kind of rolled out um, and was government backed and government sponsored, mm -hmm. you know, help even people, uh, police forces, you know, who face that um, yeah. trauma, you know, through riots and protests and stuff like that. You Absolutely. Can just begin, really, just begin to see the benefits and how this would resolve a lot of uh, the issues that we face in our modern societies. Because we're facing the um, mental health, I guess. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you bring up a great point that this, that we all have, we all have trauma and, like, to some degree, actually, I think the, the current stat is like three out of four people that you meet have experienced a big shock trauma. Um, and these tools that help bring you back to the present moment are really powerful. And if you haven't experienced your own trauma, I guarantee you are affected by the trauma, the collective trauma yeah. to some degree, right? And actually we do, uh, in Las Vegas, they serve first responders uh, we are contracted also by Washington DC public schools. We've done, we facilitated a few trainings for their social workers and educators. Um, and so exactly, I've taught at homeless shelters in Chicago and Greece and here, orphanages here as well. Um, so the need is everywhere. And, and that's the thing, like when you're quote unquote, like marketing or uh, just trying to speak to your audience, right? You, you're supposed to uh, narrow in on who is your audience. And frankly, it's everyone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's everyone. Yeah, um, I know um, Try were, uh, were of benefit to, as you said, first responders and people involved in the Las Vegas shooting in 2017. Yeah. Actually, that was kind of what birthed Try in the Las Vegas community. 
was um, this had happened and someone reached out to Joyce and, and they were like, hey, what, what can we do here? And so they, uh, they had cards with the four steps of self-regulation on them. And they went to lines of people donating blood and different uh, facilities where um, I believe where there were uh, survivors of the incident and they were handing out these cards. Like these are four easy ways to kind of ground center yourself um yeah and and i uh on a monthly basis actually teach for the vegas strong resiliency center so that was a nonprofit birthed out of uh from that event from the one october shooting so i teach to survivors of that shooting as well wow. um mm -hmm. actually if uh if you'd like i can take you through a couple minutes of srr yeah, yeah? absolutely Okay, great. So uh, this, I any opportunity I can to like actually share the practice because we can talk about it all day. But until you feel it, even a little bit of it, you know, it, it's hard to remember. You're like, what S R what? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it obviously then for the audience who's listening to this, who's watching it, you know, they'll mm -hmm. be able to practice it then too. Absolutely. So if you're driving, keep your eyes open. Um, but otherwise, even if you're walking and listening to this, you can do it just as well. So wherever you are sitting comfortably, let your hands rest on your legs, drop your chin toward your chest. You can either close your eyes or soften your gaze, focusing on one point and breathe in and out of your nose. Just taking a few mindful breaths here. Noticing any sensations in your body, in your mind. Not labeling good or bad, just noticing. Finding that next inhale. Letting your shoulders drop down with your next exhale. We'll practice a little self-regulation. So the first piece is orientation, which is just finding yourself in your space leaving whatever happened even five minutes ago in the past where it belongs. And we do that by noticing three different sounds you can hear right now. Maybe my voice, maybe you can hear your breath, just counting to yourself. And now gazing gently down, notice four different textures in your line of sight. Maybe the floor, your feet, your chair. As we gaze down the body, signaling to the brain, all is well, I am safe, I am calm, I am peaceful. As you gaze down, really noticing your connection with your feet to the floor, with your sit bones on the chair, really feeling your weight against the chair Moving into grounding, which is just noticing your connection to the ground. Feeling the weight of your hands on your legs and breathing here. Feeling everywhere you're being supported right now. And hearing the words, I am grounded, I am supported. I am showing up. 
We notice what's happening around us. Now we'll notice what's happening on the inside. Oftentimes our energy might feel a little scattered. So we bring that energy back in, finding our center by lifting the pelvic floor. So engaging your abdominal muscles. And as you inhale, sit up a little taller. Exhale, pressing all the air out, belly button in toward your spine. We'll do that two more times, engaging your core as you inhale. Exhale. Do that one more time with your breath. Maybe feeling a little heat start to build here. This is your power center. Hearing the words, I am centered, I am powerful, I am peaceful. And now moving to the last piece, which is your breath. Our breath is our presence. We can't breathe in the past or in the future. You can only breathe right here, right now. So tracing that next inhale in through the nose, the throat, the lungs, tracing it back out. Do that a few more times. And as you do, notice how far the breath is traveling. Is it stopping in the lungs or is it reaching the belly? Not changing anything here, just observing. Oftentimes we might be only breathing from the chest. And when that's the case, our body is telling our brain that there is stress or danger present, even if there's not. So the way we break that stress loop is by taking a few breaths from the belly. So place one hand on your stomach and on your next inhale, trying to allow the breath to reach the belly, feeling it rise even just a little bit. Exhaling, pressing your belly button in toward your spine. Do that two more times. You can bring in some visualization here, imagining pouring this water in from the top of your head, filling in from the bottom. As our body signals to the brain, all is well, I am breathing, I am whole, I am divine. Bringing your hands back to your legs, breathing naturally again. And just noticing here any difference in how you feel, mind, body, any difference now from how you felt just a few minutes ago. Knowing that this peaceful feeling, this peaceful place is within you and accessible to you always. We'll take one big breath in through the nose and a big exhale from the mouth as your shoulders drop down. And whenever you're ready, you can slowly blink your eyes open and lift your gaze. coming back to the space. <laughs> um, yeah, wow, you can hang on a minute. Just bring yourself back. Mm -hmm. For someone yeah. who's practicing in breath work, that really does take me to to deep places. It's not, I, not a good idea as a podcast host trying to do this because I am struggling to come back from that altered state that you helped put me into. 
Mm. So actually, this is a great. Sorry, this is a great um, example of okay. Take your time. Like exercise your power of choice. Uh, take a few breaths. And for any of your listeners who might feel the same, so that was um, five minutes or something of a simple self-regulation practice that we do with people here all the time. And in, in that short time with these simple tools, we can get people. Just, that's us. For someone like me who is, you know, practiced in breath work, um, I can, you know, very easy to get into that state. But like I, it took me just a minute to, because I was trying to um, inhale with the breath going to the spine. So it took me just a minute to try and, okay, right, okay, I need to do this kind of the opposite way. It's the exhale when you're bringing the stomach in. But just to find yourself descending down those levels, to feel that heaviness come over you, to repeat those affirmations to yourself, and just to feel at a very relaxed state. It's hard to come out of, it really is. And that's just one few minute session. And I had so much difficulty coming back and opening my eyes and returning to this. And I was consciously aware to come out of this quickly. So I had to break that connection faster than I would have liked to. Deep sea diver, isn't it? Where you're trying to come up at different stages so you don't get those bends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was yeah. hard to, to rush through that, but it, it just goes to show you how powerful that is. And hopefully, anyone who's listening to this, who's watching it, can then take that and put that into practice themselves. It's just a small, simple technique that even if you don't avail for, from, from trauma recovery programs, um, even if you're feeling stressed out during your day, even if you've mm-hmm. had a day or long work day, you can simply use that little technique that you have, you know, demonstrated to us. And mm-hmm. just that, not even after your day, but during your day. During. Take five, yeah. Take That's five minutes on your lunch yeah. break. At, at, you know, if you're, I don't know, revising for exams, if you're mm-hmm. for an interview, if you're, if you're looking at your house and going, where do I start with with this mess? Uh-huh. That at all. It, it, it can be so beneficial from not just this one practice, but from now on, you know, incorporate that into your and it'll have beneficial effects. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Super. And you know the the great part about it is you could do that whole practice, like all four pieces, which was five or six minutes, or you could just do grounding. You could just notice your feet on the floor and your your weight on the chair. Yeah, I think it was six minutes. Wow, uh-huh. I, I, I have no idea. I thought it was about yeah. I've had no idea. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, right? So you could just do grounding. You could just engage your five senses to bring you back to the present moment. You know, any of these tools in whatever combination, like we're really intentional. We work from the outside in, um, but however you remember it, however it resonates with you, you're in the moment, oh, you remember to breathe, you remember to, ah, how am I, how, what sensations am I feeling? You know, any, any piece of this is powerful. Like any small win. Brilliant. It's bringing you you back to that. I was actually doing um, a talk on this yesterday, believe it or not. Um, It wasn't my own things, but it was this, uh, 
these words that I was reading out, let's just say that, and they were talking about, they were asking um, for advice on remaining in the present. How do we remain in the present mm. instead of having our attention constantly on the past or in the future? And that, as you say, is a brilliant way to ground yourself in the present moment, to remain present in mm -hmm. your body, to aware of where your own thoughts and feelings and emotions actually are and then to actually realize exactly. oh, hang on a minute operating from a place which is not one which is based in um contentment and relaxation and uh, assurity that all is well so it's mm -hmm. a part of the way to remain present brilliant so Absolutely. We, we, we we're coming to the end of this and i just wanted to ask you um the difference between the two wave two wave wave tube <laughs> i stopped off and recovered two two youtube channels which is try method and try global what is the difference between those two yeah great question so uh try global is our nonprofit organization it's registered in the us but we are operating internationally our base is in the kurdistan region of iraq where we have a crisis response team that will be going to ukraine so all yeah, so all most of what we talked about today, I'm referring to uh, Try Global. So on our YouTube page, our focus is to provide Try practices, so the breathing, the meditations, all the yoga, um, in different languages. So right now we have some English, but more of uh, Kurdish, Arabic, and Ukrainian, and a, a Spanish video. We're working on Spanish development. Um, so that's, that's our main focus while the try method is the original, um, try community in the U S, uh, a lot of them based in Las Vegas, but as we traveled the country and trained try instructors, um, that's how we, we got momentum in the States. So there's about, um, so the focus of that channel then is on, it's all English. Um, there's a variety of classes. So if you would just like to try a try class, <laughs> uh, I can't say that's the first time I've said that, but <laughs> um, you, shouldn't even, you shouldn't even have said that. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to try a try class, <laughs> there are lots of videos on there that you can, you can try. There are chair classes. There are full 45 minute or 60 minute classes. Uh, and teachers of all styles. Um, there are like check out Max if you like a slower slower class. Check out Leland if you'd like it a bit more intense. Uh, we call his classes total resilience yoga rather than uh, trauma recovery yoga. And it's all in the, one and the same. But yeah, so English for the try method, um, and then more of a global approach on try global. Let's say. Yeah, let, let me just let me just stop you there, Brenda, because I've just realized an error that I made because initially I called this trauma recovery yoga, total resilience yoga. So just to clarify oh. for anyone, it's actually... Um, Tra it's trauma it is, recovery yoga. Yes, yeah. it's actually trauma recovery yoga. It's not actually total resilience yoga. That was just an error on my part. I just wanted to clear that up. Thank you. But also, uh, we sometimes call it total resilience yoga for first responders. So you might have really seen that somewhere. Yeah, um, I think I actually seen it on your website. Yeah, I'm sure you did. 
So, um, yeah, when we go to certain spaces, we want to meet people where they are, right? We want to speak their language, whether that's just different communities in, in English, like we're going to first responders, uh, a trauma recovery yoga class, they're like, eh, you know, not for me, but total resilience class, you know, uh, like, yeah, yeah it's going to be a little more intense. Uh, you know, you, you speak to your audience because yeah, we know so that the benefit, benefit is real regardless. Yeah, brilliant. Um, what was the other thing that I wanted to ask you about? Um, yes, and also, um, it's not only those uh, trainers, instructors on it, and you'll also find a lovely brand on that doing demonstrations herself. Just important to point out. Yeah, um, And just before we go, then, I want to talk to you about your book, which you have out. Oh. Um, it's called Your Time to Shine, a personal strategic planning workbook. And you've said that it is creating a plan of action to help build a lifestyle state and purpose. What was the inspiration behind that? And when did that come You know, into publication? I know you've done a book signing there recently. Yeah, so thanks for asking about the book. Um, it was published uh, last year, so it was 2021. And this book, so as you said, it's a personal strategic planning workbook. So the idea was really birthed in my in a, a strategic planning for nonprofits class I took during my master's degree. And I, I loved it. I loved how we created systems and everything had a purpose and it moved nonprofits forward with purpose. Uh, it allowed them to kind of step out to step out of their immediate circumstances and see the big picture and uh, tackle obstacles and and uh, stay connected to their why. And in all of these different things, and it occurred to me that I'd never heard of a personal strategic plan. Like, why don't we have these to move more purposely through our lives? So yeah. uh, I, I started putting together my, it was just for me for years. Um, I created my own personal strategic plan that involved uh, like a different charts for goals and to break them down into more digestible uh, medium short term goals, uh, a system to track my progress toward those goals. That's probably my favorite part that I still I mean, I'm, I'm using it every single day for years now. Um, and uh, clarifying your purpose. Um, uh, creating a mission statement, a vision statement. So all of this is included in this simple step-by-step -step workbook. Because as you know, that's my style. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can get it on Amazon. It's your time to shine. And it's actually Brilliant. translated into Arabic as well. And it was shared with, um, I've taught a few classes based on this book to uh, young Yazidi women here, which has been really incredible yeah. as well. Is that, yeah. is, you, you were actually doing the book signing in Kurdistan, is that, is that right? Yes, um, in Dehuk, in the yeah. northern part of Kurdistan, really close to uh, Turkey and Syria. So you're a big star then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I had my whole, I went through a whole um, process of like uh, imposter syndrome before this book signing, like, who might have a book signing? What is this? And then I was like, you know what? Screw that. I wrote a book. Like, I published a book. Yeah. Um, exactly. Why not celebrate, though? Exactly. 
So that was a whole process for me, but Brilliant. yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. Anyone who, you know, writes a book that is empowering people absolutely deserves any credit that they get. So, you know, more part of you for that. Thank you very much. And, you know, it, yeah. it really ties in so well with the empowerment factor of try, you know, giving people these simple step-by-step -step tools that really work. They're really powerful. Um, it's just about like, once you learn them, you can't unlearn them, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so tell us then, because we're coming to the end of this interview, um, what, are, well, I, I don't know if this is even a kind of genuine question because we've talked about, you know, the expansion of try into Ukraine, but, you know, we talked about the founder's new kind of direction. Is there anything further that you can add that in regards to plans for the future that you feel anyone should be about? Yeah, so we are in exciting times here. Um, we have this this project planned for Ukraine for beginning of 2023. Actually, the rest of this year, we're really focusing, my, my local team here, we're really focusing on building a strong foundation. So uh, we, we've created our member site and we're working out all the kinks, finishing all the translations, having our participants from these two trainings go through everything, um, test it out, give us feedback, and then starting 2023, we'll be really expanding. The plan is, is Ukraine as well as Baghdad and Lebanon. So, and yeah. Sorry, I was going to actually ask about Baghdad earlier, and I'm kind of glad I didn't know. Uh, we we have something in the works, like some trainings and classes to bring to the community and to coordinate with some organizations there. So basically the same thing we're doing here, but on a smaller scale for now, to do it in Baghdad as well. Because right now, I we're just in Kurdistan, which is separate in a sense. It's a, you know, it's a complicated situation. Yeah. But yeah. But it is quite autonomous. Um, so yeah, to expand to Baghdad is is almost like expanding to another country, it seems. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's quite amazing. And I, I do know that it's still a small, very kind of small team that you're, you're working with. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's all these yeah. kind of small little pockets, I guess. Yes, so we have our, our small local team here. And then right now we have a lot of volunteers. So if anyone, but, but we also have a lot of pipelines for growth that I think come the next couple months even, it's really gonna take off. So right now we're planning, we're building a really strong foundation to make sure these systems are sustainable um, and as empowering as they can be um, and to really fit the cultures. And so if anyone is interested in volunteering in any way, Whatever your skills are, I'm sure we could find a place for them. Um, so I will have, I'm sure you have all of my contact information, yes? Yes, I'll be including them all down. Do not worry about Wonderful. that. What I did want to say there, Brenda, is that is what you just said there, that should actually be something which is extremely empowering because of the war in Ukraine and Syria and Iraq and there's wars going on everywhere. Mm -hmm in our media in our governments um because they're not directly involved in you know these wars especially the war in ukraine we have seen calls um and justification for volunteers 
for mercenary fighters to go off and fight in Ukraine, you have an opportunity here to volunteer to do something else rather than cause bloodshed and contribute to war. You have an opportunity to do something worthwhile, impactful, that's mm -hmm. going to benefit our global world and help reducing casualties instead of fanning the flames of these fires. You can go instead of directing your focus, your energy, your anger into something that is contributing to even more trauma in our world. Mm -hmm. And by you know, assisting and uh, volunteering and, and, and becoming uh, someone who's skilled in, in your trauma recovery program, you can actually help stop pre uh, and prevent future wars by doing this, by reducing trauma and reducing the need for this kind of aggressive mm -hmm. uh, society that, that we currently have. 100%. Actually, just one more point on this, because this is like a core belief of mine. It has come to be is like, uh, what, no, I'm not here with the military and what people think, at least often in the US, this, you know, kind of typical mindset is that Oh, well, okay, humanitarian work, sure. What are you doing, teaching English? Like, all right, great. Um, no, I consider this work, this trauma recovery work, especially as like anti-terrorism work. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're serving people living in extreme poverty who have all of these unresolved traumas, who have all the potential in the world. Like, I I've can count on my hand the number of people I wouldn't consider like, really good people here, you know, over the last three years. So to give them this opportunity, that's keeping people from, I mean, you, you know, whether you're in Chicago or London or wherever, um, you know, keeping people off the streets, giving people hope, giving people a sense of dignity and feeling like they can take care of themselves. Uh, that's anti-terrorism work. That's preventing wars. And, and I think that's the that's really the um the larger ripple effect that we don't see right away so yes, thanks yes. for bringing that up yeah no it just came to me and thank god that i remember or thought of it or that the 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 idea came to me there who knows where it came from but we'll not get into that but um yeah like you know we talk about how trauma and all of this kind of stuff can affect not only people on an individual level but it's the collective unconscious that is mm -hmm. affected by this and so if we're contributing through you know by our own kind of um misguided intentions to stop wars and to save people um you're only contributing towards that collective trauma so the more people that we have who are doing the humanitarian work who are assisting people in trauma it reduces that uh, collective trauma reduces that collective uh, need for uh, aggression and war in our society. So mm -hmm. we're back to change or sort of, well, maybe not me, but the likes of you, your organization, the volunteers that you are having, you are affecting change in a global way in that way, in the same way that uh, a number of years ago there was, um, I think it was in America somewhere, there was an experiment, I think it may have been to do with New York, uh, I don't have the details, I never do, I just have the information. Mm -hmm. There was an experiment conducted in which they took a group of people, 100 people, 200 people, 
and they got those people to meditate over a period of time on peace. And they measured the effects in, you know, the society, whatever they were playing, and they found a significant drop in crime. And they mm -hmm. couldn't attribute this to any external factors like, you know, employment boom, uh, increased police force, um, you know, those factors. So they were eliminating those factors. There was nothing externally happened, and they had to come to the conclusion that it was the power of that collective group of people meditating that had that mm -hmm. impact. And yes, what I'm saying for anyone who doesn't grasp this here, the work that you're doing in relieving trauma and stopping that really does reduce the aggression and stuff like mm -hmm. that. It yeah. really does yeah. impact it. Actually, I know exactly what study you're talking about. It was on transcendental meditation. Yeah, I right. looked pretty deeply into this because I was like amazed by it. And I, my master's is in community development. So to use what I'm passionate about to like affect it on the community level is really fascinating for me. Um, but they practice transcendental meditation in Israel, uh, I believe, New York and Washington, D.C. And they, they did this and it was the same across the board at different times and with different um, massive groups of people. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I really believe like focusing on the individual and we come together in community like as a, a class because I, I think um, we we heal together, but seeing it like approaching it by just I'm helping this individual with something. I think that is really the avenue that leads to community recovery and resilience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, because I never bother. I'm lazy that way and looking up the details of these things. I just like to recite the facts. I don't actually are the, the basis of it. I don't actually. I just, I just happen to know that one. <laughs> We're on the same level. I I can fill in the, the other parts. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really so fascinating. Just, yeah, just uh, we could talk all day. We really could. But I know. Yes, this up. It's almost two hours, believe it or not. I wondered where we were going to get no. Um, just quickly then, Brenda, um, tell us where people can find you. We've talked about, you know, obviously the website. We talked about the YouTube channels. Um, but let people know mm -hmm. just yourself, wherever they can find you. Uh, so our website is triglobal.org. You can learn all about us and connect with, with us more there. Um, you can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is tri.global.org. And Facebook is Tri Global, uh, and then our YouTube. And on our Instagram and Facebook, there's a link tree um, link in our bios, so you can go there, and there are all the links you can imagine, all in one place. So, reach out Again, to us; we'd love to hear from people. Absolutely, you know, no, um, no better work, I guess. You know, no, no better way to try and change our our societies than contributing in some way. Um, because I know a lot of your work, um, again, I should have brought this up earlier. I'm trying to get this finished, but more facts. <laughs> At the minute you're still relying, well, I hope this is the thing I was listening to the last podcast, you're still relying on donations. You're trying to get uh, NGO status cemented into Kurdistan, mm -hmm. so currently relying on funding and donations, I think. Yeah, that, that is true. So we are registered in the U.S. We're currently in the process of registering Kurdistan. 
So uh, we are right now crowdfunding and it's been really successful because of generous people with big hearts who, who get this and see that this is an incredible way to support people. So for anyone who does feel called to support the cause, this is a great way and we would welcome a, a, your support with an open heart. Yeah. Yeah, where can people find, well, how can people donate to you? Uh, so there is a, uh, it's a crowdfunding page on Go Get Funding. The link is on our website. There's just a donate button on the menu. Um, and otherwise it's in our link tree on our social media. But if you just go to the website, there's a donate button. You can go straight there. Brilliant. Brenda Hershey, it has been um, an honor and inspiration talking to you. Um, getting to know you, getting to know the work that you're doing, um, it's just so inspirational. Um, and you do it in such a way which, as I said, you make it fun and accessible to people. Um, it doesn't have to be this long, protracted thing. And even the way that you tailor that program for children in which they don't even know that they're part of a program like that, they think that they're doing some fun exercises, is just amazing. And as we were talking about during the interview, you can just if you take your, you know, if you let your mind take this further than just um, refugee camps and displaced people and war zones, you begin to realize mm -hmm. that oh, this in our wider societies. So all I can do is 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 hope that um, as many people watch this as I can, and I'll spread the message as far as I can, um, and and just hope that you know this takes off on a global scale through the heart of our societies. So thank you very thank much you for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. This was really a pleasure. This is a highlight of my day. So I, I'm so grateful to be connected with you and I look forward to, to staying connected and to seeing absolutely. more Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Maybe when you get that second book published, I'll maybe get you back up again. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Bye. Powerful and uh, it's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah.